The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Netflix and Thrill, shares of the streaming giant soaring to two-year highs after posting a huge beat on new subscribers. And for the first time, we can remember the company's conference call is underway during our show right now. And we're listening in, bringing you all the headlines. Plus, China on the rebound. Talk of potential stimulus giving stocks in Beijing their best day since July. But are the measures too little too late? We're going abroad for that trade. And a shaky foundation shares of D.R. Horton seeing their worst day since the depths of the pandemic. And they are taking the rest of the home builders down with it. So has the bottom come out of the housing trade? We will dig into the numbers to find out. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. We start off with a big Netflix beat. The streaming giant popping after saying it added more than 13 million subscribers in the latest quarter. The company also announcing a big bet on live events earlier in the day. Netflix's conference call kicked off just about 15 minutes ago, an earlier start than usual. CNBC's Julia Borson has been listening in. Hey, Julia. Hey, Melissa, that's right. The call is underway. Netflix kicking off the earnings call by talking about the WWE deal that it announced earlier today for Raw, saying that this deal is a great fit for them because at the intersection of drama and sport, what they called a sweet spot of sports entertainment for Netflix. They also said that there is an advantage here and that WWE has been historically underdistributed internationally. And of course, they have pretty broad international rights. But they did say that this does not signal a change to Netflix's sports strategy, they had no comment on whether they'd be interested in NBA rights. So it seems like looking for these other opportunities. Now, this all comes after the company reported faster than expected 12% revenue growth on a big subscriber beat, more than 13 million new subs. That's 4.2 million more subscribers than analysts had anticipated. Now, all of that points to the growth of the company's ad-supported lower-cost option. They said it's now 40% of all Netflix signups in the markets where they do have that ad option and that ads memberships are up 70% sequentially. Now, the company said it is not interested in acquiring linear assets and that they don't believe that further M&A among traditional entertainment companies will change the competitive environment. Now, beyond the opportunity they talked about in advertising, they say it's still early days, Netflix did talk about improving their core series and film and then also the growing engagement they're seeing with their video games and the opportunity that lies there. Melissa? Julie, I do also have a question about the conference call itself. In the past, um, they've not taken live analyst calls. So because this is earlier, are they taking live analyst calls? Well, I, I'm watching it stream right now on my laptop on YouTube. So, of course, we've been streaming. We've been talking so much about streaming on Netflix. Traditionally, what they've done is they've had one analyst interview the various C-suite executives, and then they posted that taped interview on YouTube. What they're doing, it, doing right now is they're live streaming it on YouTube. They had analysts submit their questions just in the past hour since uh, since the call, uh, since, sorry, the earnings were announced before the call got underway. And then they're having the head of investor relations read those questions um, to the various executives. So that's what's happening right now, streaming on YouTube. 
All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson, Netflix shares up by 8.6%. And Dan, we were chatting about the results earlier, and I thought this was a very good point. It's interesting how much of a beat it is on subs, how volatile that number can be from quarter to quarter. Yeah, and then digging into the numbers and listening to Julia talk about 40% of these new ads coming from ad-supported, that is the change in the story. Think about when they introduced that ad tier. It was very near the low in the stock. After the stock had gone from $700 all the way down to, what, $165 or something like that, that was in the throes of the sell-off in 2022. They introduced this tier. I think we spent a lot of time talking about it. A lot of analysts, investors, like to say, are they cannibalizing themselves? Is that it? And and a lot of folks kind of threw in the towel. They said they were never going to do it. Think about this. Ten years on, they were a 32% gross uh, margin uh, company in 2014, and now they're expected to be 42.5 this year. And think about what high margin that business is, and they're basically capturing a lot of those folks who were not paying, right, on those family plans and the like. So to me, this is a new era for the company. I think it's really interesting to listen to the the sports stuff and, and, and live and, and, and how they're thinking about that relative to the prior 10 years when they just spent, you know, gobs of money on original programming. And this will really help, I think, you know, push this subscriber growth along. But to kind of put it all together to your point about the lack of visibility to have a nine million uh, estimate and come in at 13, um, that's pretty remarkable. And that might just be the new place that we are in with this new ad supported model that they um, I think they really like here. Uh, let's be clear. And on the ad side, We've actually had a lot of visibility into the gains that they've been making. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we had that variety report saying how many subscribers they were adding on the ad-supported tier. And yet here we are rising again on this news, basically. Yeah, 13.1. And the expectation was somewhere around 8.5, et cetera, et cetera. Some of this is also the the partnerships that they have with people like T-Mobile. And and so, you know, on some level, um, they've if, if you've been with T-Mobile, you've actually gotten Netflix as part of the package, Um, you've been downgraded possibly into an ad tier, Um, so some of those some of the strength there may be people actually getting downgraded small. So you have to really read into this. But I think the profitability of the company, the economies of scale here are staggering compared to the peers. I think the upgrade cycle is just beginning here, especially when you look at the operating margin that they've guided for 24. It was going to be 22 and a half. It's now going to be up at 24. They gave a fiscal uh, Q1 guide of, of uh, let's see where they're going to be somewhere about 8 percent above where the street was. That that to me is part of what's going on here. I, I just think as someone that was long the stock and sold it way too too soon. Um, this is one of those ones that, that I think you're just beginning. They, they're emphasizing where they're spending on content where their peers are not, and they have no interest in linear M&A. Uh, and that was something they made clear. Yeah, to your point, a couple weeks ago, we talked about that. So I thought this run from 440 maybe to 480 sort of encompassed all right. of that. I was definitely on the camp take profits in earnings. That was the wrong camp to be in. But I think we've universally liked this stock for quite some time. The question is, what do you do now? Do you hold on to it now? Is today the day to take profits? Do you get it back and fill? Let's hear what they have to say. Let's see what the type of volume is tomorrow. But this is an extraordinary quarter by any stretch. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is what's boosting this really is the ad-supported tier and cracking down on the passwords. But this WWE content, I think, is actually really fascinating because they've had really two big live events. One was the Chris Rock comedy special, which went off without a hitch. And then they had, I think it was Love is Blind, actually was um, actually really poor for them. I think people waited for like hours and they couldn't get onto this live event because they had such technological glitches. So I think it'll be kind of interesting to see what they can do with this. And if they are able to be successful in the live realm, that's going to open up a lot of other possibilities for them because t- content is going to be key to keep those subscribers going. So I think they're being really cautious saying, oh, this doesn't necessarily mean we're getting into more sports. But with all the sports documentaries they have, they clearly have the 
the um, demand there. And I think it's just going to get their foot in the door, which could lead to more subscribers. And the way they talk about sports content is very different. They call it sports adjacent. So it doesn't appear, just according to you know how they're phrasing the language, it seems very careful that they're going to dive into sort of the bidding war for live yeah. sports necessarily, but they're going in carefully into events that can be probably rebroadcast that are more entertainment events well, as I mean, opposed to live guys, sports. Is, is WWE... Is that a sporting event or is that is that an excellent question by Tim Seymour? It can be both. Well, it can't. I mean, back in our day, I mean, (laughs) I don't know if the Superfly is still alive. I don't think Snooker made it. uh, Dusty Rhodes, uh, you know. I think to to Mel's point, it's more about the ecosystem of content because they're doing a lot of documentaries around that. And and, and again, it's like what is attracting a viewer to stay there and, and not just be there for the live stuff, but the other stuff. I'll tell you, I think this is the year this happens, okay? So we just talked about the gross margin for a Netflix. It's going to be at its all-time high, 42.5% or so this year. Think of a company like Spotify that's leaned into podcasting, that's leaned into audio, and they have 25% gross margin. Okay, this is a $36 billion enterprise company. Today, if this stock is up 10%, this is the Netflix, okay, it's still well off its highs. I think to put these two assets together, get all of the, basically the cost savings of that, and then create this kind of 360 degree, like sort of ecosystem as it relates to content, I think that's where this stuff is going to go. And when you think about a company like Netflix, remember Fang? Remember we used to talk about Fang a few years ago? Wow. This is yeah, a true. Forgot about that. Time. We threw it out. Remember, I made it MAGA because I got rid of it. Of course, yeah, you did. of course. Yeah, I got rid of the end. Right? That. Remember that? Yeah. Because it's an inconsequential company as it relates to the broader market, right? And that was the premise back then. Now, I think we need a little beefing up to do to, to compete with some of these large the platforms. Spot. The, yeah, I think that probably is something that should happen, and that helps them better compete with some of these behemoths. And, and that might mean that Disney has to get in the audio game and stuff like that. But I just think you're going to see some folks that are going to have to better compete with some of these larger platforms. Um, let's get back to Julia Borson, who's got an update from that conference call. Julia. Yeah, we're just hearing a conversation on the call about whether or not Netflix is going to change its its strategy around content. Um, and they did say that they are thrilled that the studios are more open to licensing their content. And he, Sarando saying, I'm thrilled to tell them we're open for business. So he said, big picture, we're not going to change our strategy, but they are interested in licensing more content. They re- referenced Suits and said that sometimes they can bring value to content that is that is run elsewhere or is created by other people. Back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, Suits. Yeah. I, I bet you watched it when it was live. He probably was like, cast in it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, my 15-year-old daughter has binge-watched Suits and now seen episodes, and when is one of them for Halloween? Brought to a new generation, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, revitalizing but, content. But there's no question that that's what they have done, and that's what Netflix has always done, and it's interesting that it's a question. Are you, do you think your competitors are going to stop licensing to you so you can actually make uh, and remake and put a, a lot more profitability on series that maybe they did not? And you notice that they're not necessarily doing it in reverse. So it, it's a fascinating time. Again, live entertainment, Courtney brings this up. I think there's a massive opportunity here, and I think Netflix has already been out there, and that's what WWE is. All right. We will uh, continue to get updates from that conference call from Julia. But in the meantime, let's talk broader markets here. The S&P 500 notching another record close today, third day in a row. It's done that. The Nasdaq gaining nearly half a percent. The Dow ending the day in the red, though, dragged down by losses in 3M, Home Depot, and Goldman Sachs. One of our traders points out that earnings sentiment so far has been pretty muted, but our Netflix's results a sign that perhaps, perhaps, big tech will deliver and continue to lead this market higher. What do you think? 
Well, I, yes, and, and for some, and I bet Dan's got a view on this, you know, that's not necessarily good news. I actually think it's fine, uh, especially when I think ultimately we're going to get through this period where, first of all, I think there's a lot of people that are on the sidelines. We've talked about the money market funds and the cash and, and what that could do to come into the market. Uh, but the fact is Amazon, Meta, uh, Netflix, and, and, you know, for sure Microsoft, and I'm not so sure on Apple, but we'll get there. Mega Cap Tech is leading the way. If you look at this move we've had in the market since October 20. You can see the Nasdaq's up almost 25 percent in 59 sessions and that semis are up almost 39 percent. And I would go back to also that Taiwan semi uh, announcement and even what NVIDIA said at CES and what we're going to hear for them. The spend, the CapEx spend, mega cap tech, there's no reason to believe that the earnings power of these companies is not going to dominate all the other sectors. And I think it's going to be good. Yeah, uh, we had Peter Brookvarn yesterday. One of the points that he was making was that the Russell 2000 are the customers of big cap technology. And so can you have a Russell 2000 that is weak and a mega cap rally that we're having right now? That's what's, and that's been, the, the answer is, I guess, clearly yes, because yes. it's been happening for a while. How long can it continue? I think it's a better question. And again, if you believe unemployment's going higher, and right now I think 45 out of the 50 states or something like that are actually seeing a rise in the unemployment rate. I think Texas is a bit of an outlier. That historically has not been a good trend. So if unemployment starts to tick higher in a meaningful way, small caps theoretically should be under pressure, especially since bank credit seems to be contracting, which I think means it's going to hurt these big cap tech stocks. But right now, they're impervious to everything. Yeah, I just say this to Tim's point about mega cap tech and getting the season started. You know, Netflix is always such a weird outlier. And that was kind of my yeah. point about like what M&A they should right. do relative to their whatever. It, it just seems like like they do their own thing. They live in their own world. I'd be concerned about a company like Microsoft, not too different than when the stock was trading at all time high in July into what we would say their calendar Q2 earnings were. Um, the stock was up. July. Is that the Forex warning? Well, yeah. I mean, it, well, so it was, it was when the height of, of AI excitement there, okay? And what did the stock do over the next couple of months? They announced the co-pilot pricing, okay, that was going to happen in the fall, and the stock sold off 15% over the next two months. Here we are. The stock has rallied from the fall. 30% or so, right? It's trading about 35 times this year, about, I don't know, 25 times next. It's really expensive. The exuberance around the story is universal. And so to me, I just think that there's, if there's any disappointment, if the commercialization of these products is not going the way investors think right now, you're going to have all of these stocks sell off just because the sentiment can't continue like this. You need a bit of back and forth. It's almost like, though, a win-win situation. I hate to, I hate to be that person. But if you're worried about the markets, you want to be, you pay a premium for Microsoft, mm -hmm. right? If you think the markets are great, you probably think big cap tech is going to lead and you want to be in Microsoft anyway. I mean, there's a bull case to be made for either scenario, which is nuts. Why do you hate to be that person? Huh? Why do well, I hate, yeah, to, be why do you hate to be that person? I'm That's just not that person by person nature. To be. Mm. Okay. You know that. <laughs> yeah, and I think there there is a lot to be said about that, right? I mean, I think people are very optimistic, and they almost look at these as a safety trade right now. Um, but I think the question is, how many people have already gotten into that? I mean, that $6 trillion, which you pointed out, is in cash right now, is not going into those big names. That's money that people are nervous about. They're not being enticed by the idea that rates are going to come down, and they're leaving their money in cash right now. If it's going to go anywhere, it's probably not going to go to those areas. All the big institutional money is already overweight these sectors. So what is going to be the next catalyst to bring them higher? And I, I am optimistic that hopefully
hopefully they will have good earnings seasons, but I just don't know how much further that's going to go. And I still think um, you need to own these things, but I still just think there's good, better opportunities. Yeah, the there. move to Dan's 350 down to 312 from July into, I think, early September-ish. And then obviously it's a $400 stock today. It's also trading at now 31 times next year's numbers, maybe mid to low teens EPS and revenue growth, maybe at best. So it's gotten itself expensive. They're all, they're, their own asset class, clearly, and passive investing helps these names without question. But they really have to deliver at this valuation. I think you have a case where there are also people, though, that are going to chase into these names. And it may happen right through the end of this kind of March-April period where allocations seasonally, again, should be very strong here. Uh, it could set people up for a pullback that's you know, not so great. But right now, I think there's a, a FOMO dynamic with mega cap tech. All right, coming up, more after hours action. Shares of Texas Instruments sinking after its results. The details from the quarter and the latest from the company's conference call next. Plus, all eyes on New Hampshire as former President Donald Trump and Nikki Haley vie for the GOP nomination. What the primary could mean for the markets and if investors are ready for potential D.C. shakeup. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert for you. This time in Texas Instrument shares are dropping 4% after the company reported a miss on revenues. Let's get to Christina Parts-Nevelis, who's got the details. Christina. Well, on the earnings call, they said that revenue decline was actually because of lower prices and not demand. But it was another disappointing forecast for Texas Instruments. That's the sixth quarter of negative-on-negative comparisons. The company warning of a drop in industrial markets with customers still working through inventory. Industrial contributes 40% of total revenue, so that's important. Texas Instruments, though, is seen as a bellwether for the tech space since its chips are used in everything from washing machines to cars. And management did warn of flat personal electronic sales and then a sequential decline in automotive, which also contributes roughly 34 percent of total revenues. Another big hit. And this auto weakness we've heard recently from Microchip and Mobileye when they pre-announced. And Texas Instruments' cautious tone right now impacting other names in after-hours trading, like on Semi you're seeing on your screen, down almost 3 percent, NXPI, another uh, auto-exposed company down over two percent uh separately gross margins for texas instrument coming down slightly due to the impact of underutilization rates aka an in- or an increase in inefficiency when it comes to output a little confusing there but uh, the company also saying that their capex is staying steady at five billion dollars and i bring up capex because they were asked a lot of questions about the chips act and all of their spending in the united states the company said that they do get a 25 percent tax credit on manufacturing and have accrued thus far 1.4 billion and they expect another 500 million dollars latest this year however they do not not know if their application is going to give them any more money. Uh, and that was a big question when it came to cash flows. 
Lower prices, Christina, means what? That they've they're cut getting prices, more, that their mix is different? So when it comes to personal electronics stuff, they're uh, cutting their prices to be more aggressive, especially when it comes to compared uh, to China, because competition from China has been an issue, and Texas Instrument has been uh, quite aggressive with their pricing strategy thus far. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Partsnevelis. It's interesting phrasing to say lower prices, we're cutting prices to compete with somebody else, but it's not because of demand when, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> they're interrelated in some way. Um, guys, you know, we've heard from mobile, we've heard from microchip, but I feel like the sector trades down again and again and again on the same un- stuff. Unless you're sort of in the AI space, which right. doesn't seemingly matter what you say. But uh, again, if you had told me the first quarter guide for Texas Instruments would be basically a dollar five, let's say, against consensus of a buck forty, and say, where's the stock? I'm like, it's got to be down. 10% easy. It's not. It's actually sort of hanging in there. It should be lower, I guess, is my point. Now, automotive and industrials, sign of weakness. What does that tell you about industrials? And furthermore, what does that say maybe about the broader economy, X, AI, and all those things? So I'm not saying Texan is some bellwether or not. This, this stock made an all-time high in the spring of 2021, but it's definitely something to look at. Look, we've had enough pre-announcements from you know, the sector peers that you can see it's broad base. It's not necessarily just here. And, and dare I use that term of green shoots. We're waiting for the green shoots to come back, and they're not here. And there's nothing about, I think, the guide here that tells you. So um, it's not about a multiple, and, and you can make an argument that this multiple's gotten a little bit more expensive. I think this is interesting. I think you've priced in a lot of, you know, you've, you've certainly taken the, the, the bloom off of what's actually been a pretty good run in the stock. You're not buying it tomorrow, but you are you're reloading. I don't think there's anything we've heard, even going back to TSM earlier in the week, um, I think the cycle here is actually looking pretty interesting. Yeah, but watch out. I mean, based on what TSM said and the enthusiasm that we saw flow through some of the parts of the semi-market that people are excited about, if there is no money left. Well, I'm just saying, if there's any reason for people to say we are going to see a deceleration in some of the areas in data center and AI related, you know, that that is what comes out of this Q4 reporting season, then the whole space has massively outperformed and is probably due. Just look at the way AMD has worked. Look at the way Intel came back into the game and obviously NVIDIA up 20% of the year already, that stock has gained over a quarter of a trillion dollars in market cap this year alone already. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Presidential primaries are underway, but what impact could today's results in New Hampshire and the election in November have on economic policy? We're digging in next. Plus, stimulus to the rescue. Beijing hoping to boost its own market with a cash injection. But will it be enough? The latest on the China trade ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
Welcome back to Fast Money. New Hampshire voters casting their ballots in the presidential primary today with less than three hours until the final polls close. Nikki Haley, the last Republican candidate standing against former President Donald Trump, who's widely expected to clinch a victory in the state. And though it's just the kickoff for primary season, our next guest says a Trump victory tonight would effectively solidify the GOP race. For more on what is at stake, let's bring in Dan Clifton, head of policy research at Strategus, a Baird company. Dan, great to have you with us. So you think well, he wins? Do you think uh, the GOP nominee is in? Have the markets factored that in? Yeah, so first, if uh, if Donald Trump wins tonight, it's very likely that the Republican primary will be over. I mean, we may go on for a couple more days, but eventually the donors will run out for Nikki Haley and Trump will win. That means that's 279 days of Trump versus Biden, probably the longest presidential election uh, in our lifetimes. And the markets have already been starting to price this in. What we try and do is look at the most election-levered stocks. And you can see a very strong correlation between some of these stocks and the odds of Biden winning or the odds of Trump winning. And I'll just give you one example. The Tesla stock relative to the S&P 500 looks almost identical to Biden's odds of winning. And that makes sense because this election is a referendum on electric vehicles. And if Trump wins, he's probably going to cut those EV subsidies. On the other side, you see it with the Republicans, in particular around immigration stocks, because Trump could use uh, executive powers to do immigration right out of the beginning. And you're seeing as Trump's polling numbers improve, you see these immigration stocks begin to outperform the S&P 500. So we're at the very, very beginning stages of this pricing in. And what's interesting is the market's giving a 50-50 odds to both candidates winning. So a lot of wood to chop between here and probably a lot of roadblocks and a lot of a lot of speed bumps before we get to the actual election result. What are the immigration stocks, Dan? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can look at the private prisons like Geo and CoreCivic. Axon is another one. Motorola, which provides the equipment for many of the border security factors. So those are four names that I would look at on the immigration side. Uh, and then on the Democratic side, their immigration is still a big policy for them. So more people coming in. So uh, something like automatic uh, data processing, because you have more people working or more wire transfers uh, through Western Union. So both sides have different ways to play immigration. But Trump's would be very, very aggressive in closing that border down. And he can do it without an act of Congress right away. That's where we think there will be a big impact in those stocks. Hey, Dan, it's Tim. Uh, Speaking of places where we probably will have Congress involved, but fiscal friendly and and leave aside traditional definitions of who's fiscal friendly and who's not, because I think there's a lot of guilt everywhere over the last 15 to 20 years in our country. Uh, We on this show spend so much time talking about how ratings agencies and dynamics around, frankly, corporate governance for the U.S. government. Um, are changing and maybe one of the biggest factors in equity. So your your, your look into fiscal friendly or not um, and how you view it right now, who's there, who's where? You know, it's interesting. These candidates are going to get up there and tell you all the things that they want to do, but they're not really going to have a choice because of two reasons based in your question. The first is all of the Trump tax cuts on individuals expire. The Obamacare subsidies expire. Both of them expire at the end of 2025. And whoever's president is going to have to deal with that enormous two, three trillion dollar fiscal cliff. The second factor, Tim, to your point, is that this is the first time that net interest costs have exceeded uh, 14% of tax revenues, and usually say in 40 years. So once you hit that level, the market begins to impose austerity on financial markets. 
Treasury Secretary is doing a very good job of getting around that by financing the deficit with T-bills. But we all know that that's not a sustainable strategy, particularly as reverse repos go to zero. So you're going to be dealing with bond vigilantes next year. Maybe it's a currency market vigilante while you're trying to resolve those expiring tax cuts. And I think that's going to be the big challenge for whoever is the next president. And I would remind everybody, we do have to raise the debt ceiling sometime in mid-2025. So by choice, they all say they want to do all these great things on energy and healthcare and education, but the market is going to put a big focus on fiscal right in front of them, and they're going to be forced to deal with that. Just quickly, Dan, you mentioned the EV subsidies. Does the IRA yep. or much of what's in the IRA, does that get um, you know, thrown out? Because there's a lot of money tied up in infrastructure and the belief that the IRA is going to in, in, you know, in, inject money there. Single biggest question that we're getting from investors. We think it's going to be hard for the Republicans to take away a lot of the solar and biofuel provisions. Uh, maybe there's something on EVs. But ultimately, the market will price in as Trump as being unfriendly to uh, the IRA. And if Biden's odds go up, you'll see a lot of those IRA stocks begin to improve and vice versa. So I think the IRA is going to be a big part of that. That's the cap good stocks. That's the wind and solar stocks. That's the EV stocks, the charging stocks. There's all different ways to think about the IRA, and they're going to be very much aligned with where the Biden presidency is and how they're going to trade in 2024. All right, Dan, thanks. Good to get your take, Great. Dan Clifton. Thank you. What do you think? I mean, it's a long, it's a long, long ways, ways away. away, but still. <laughs> Let's play it out a little. So if, if Trump were to win the second term, you know, what does it mean? It's interesting. You can make an argument that could be extraordinarily inflationary. You know, a lot of protectionist policies, things made here, inflation goes up. What does that mean for the Federal Reserve? I think it's very energy friendly. And then one has to wonder, in terms of tariffs, do you have a, you know, a reacceleration or renewal, whatever the word is, tariffs against the Chinese? What does that mean for the tech trade? So, look, 280 days or so away, yes, but people are starting to think about those things. Are you getting questions? Every day, yeah, and every four years, I, I swear I have the same conversation with all of our clients. But I think what's kind of interesting, and he, um, he our guest actually pointed out in his notes, how typically once the um, runner-up is is chosen, right? So when we know who is in the Republican Party is going to be the candidate, there tends to be a sell-off as we're trying to figure out what their policies are. This is one of the first times we know what their policies are. I mean, we've had both of these candidates in office. So I think there's actually a lot less uncertainty this year than there is typically. And generally speaking, um, election years actually tend to be a good thing for the market. So I don't think it's something to be worried about. Yes, if there's certain stocks that you think are going to do well or not do well. Um, yes, maybe there's some volatility. But I don't think it's any reason to be uninvested or invested specifically because of this. I think it's just going to be a big headline. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point. It's like we do have a, a, a kind of guidepost for how each of these guys would, would operate for the next four years. The one thing I would say is what, what we don't know is the geopolitical stuff. And there are just a number of hot spots right now. When you think about China, you think about the Middle East, you think about Russia and Ukraine, those are all things, to Guy's point, it seems like all actually all points lead to higher inflation going forward in, in, in a lot of those sorts of situations. So to me, I think that um, we're going to have a lot of uncertainty. The economic uncertainty is not going to be there. When Trump took over in 2017, he was handed a stock market at all-time highs, an economy that was humming along pretty well. And that's what the stock market's saying right now, that the economy's okay. We can come on here and talk about, well, you know, this is going to pick up, and unemployment's going to be here, and inflation's going to be here, and that geopolitical hotspot. Things are going okay. The S&P's at all-time highs. It's near 4,900. Coming up, a boost for Beijing. Chinese authorities considering a rescue package to help stabilize its market meltdown. But will it be enough to restore investor confidence? More on the China trade next. And we're still listening into Netflix's conference call. Media analyst Rich Greenfield will join us to detail everything he's heard so far. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money in two. 
Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P posting another record close while the Dow pulled back from those levels, dropping nearly 100 points. The Nasdaq climbing about half a percent. Some earnings movers from this morning. Shares of 3M dropping 11 percent, its worst day since 2019. The company posting a beat on earnings, but issuing disappointing full-year profit and sales guidance, saying the macro environment remains muted. And shares of Verizon jumping nearly 7 percent after its results. The company beating on the top and the bottom lines, posting strong wireless subscriber ads. Meantime, Boeing falling into the close as the CEO of Alaska Airlines told NBC's Tom Costello the company found many loose bolts on the 737 MAX 9 planes in their fleet. Boeing CEO David Calhoun also slated to meet with senators on Capitol Hill tomorrow. Um, the Boeing story just seems to get a little bit worse, a little bit worse. I mean, first we had uh, United Scott Kirby complaining about Boeing's management. Now we have Alaska Airlines how are you feeling? About well, I, I think the airlines themselves that are so reliant on Boeing have mm. to do something in, in terms of start pointing the fingers. And, and, and I think, it, look, many loose bolts um, doesn't do a lot, especially in the public's perception of the company right now. The FAA also has to get out there and, and has to, to, to back that public backlash. So um, as someone that owns Boeing, I don't love these headlines, but I still get back to the fact that at some point, this is a company that I still think is going to, again, we look at the size of the MAX fleet to the overall fleet. We look at their defense business, um, not making light about any of these headlines. Uh, I still think free cash flow comes back and mass by 25. Triple M, Boeing is its own story. Triple M, is it sort of a different story? They're their own worst enemy. But this is now six years since this stock made its all-time high. And this has been six years of upper left, lower right, cascading today. And if there were ever a need for an activist, it's probably in a triple M because you talk about great businesses and moats. They seemingly have it, but they can't get their act together. I don't know if this makes a statement about the broader economy, about industrials, but it certainly speaks volumes about Triple M and their problems. By the way, we're just getting this headline from Boeing. Uh, Boeing to hold a quality stand down at a production facility in Renton, Washington on Thursday. So that's the latest from Boeing here. A stand down, a quality stand down at a production facility. We'll keep you updated as we get more details here. Uh, Chinese stocks moving on soaring today as the country weighs huge stimulus measures. The FXI, KWEB and MCHI ETFs all seeing big gains and reports that Beijing could mobilize nearly $300 billion to invest in its own markets. Most of those funds would come from offshore accounts of Chinese state-owned companies, according to Bloomberg. Alibaba, Baidu, JD, Tencent, all jumping 5% or more on these reports. Historically, these sorts of efforts don't really work for the long run, Tim. They don't. And when I think about state-owned enterprises that have money in offshore accounts to put into some stabilization fund, I, I think of the companies that are in the FXI, not the ones that are in the K-Web. Uh, meaning, you know, Citic Bank and some of the big insurance companies and, you know, Ping An and some of these companies. And I don't know um, whether this is good news. The, as an investor, I think about, OK, if you're urging your own companies to invest in the stock market, um, the companies that they're going to be investing should be off limits in terms of state oppression. Because, uh, you know, when I go back to Alibaba, this is a company that has uh, probably 30 percent or 40 percent of its market cap in cash. The valuation is ridiculous when you consider the growth level 
even in a Chinese economy that's going zero. But you can't put a qualification, you can't put a multiple on the fear of, of top-down oppression. And that's the stuff that we can't really do. So again, this should be good news for that dynamic, depending on who we find out that stabilization fund is investing in. Then I think you can follow in. I, look, I think China, for medium to long-term investors here, this is a fantastic place to be getting involved. Yeah, Court. Yeah, and I do agree with that. I think really what you want to look at here is there's clearly a lot of political risk still when it comes to China, and it's traded up and down on the optimism that there is going to be some sort of stimulus and then nothing happens, et cetera. So I think there might be some in the short term here. I do like it in the medium to long term. Um, but that's where when you look at something like emerging markets, there's a lot of other opportunities. China used to be kind of the only big player in the space. Um, now you also want to look at opportunities like India, for example, I think is probably going to be like the next big China when you're looking at emerging markets. And that's where you look at some of the indexes like the EEM. China's only a small portion of that, and that's where I think you want to own everything. So I do like it, but yeah, short term, definitely still some um, some caution. Yeah, and if you were playing a game called Would You Rather, but we're not. To do it? But we're not. Would you rather them spend three hundred billion dollars? No, she did a lot of she side eye though. I'll tell you that much. Big eye roll. The cameras caught that. Big eye roll. Three hundred billion towards the property sector in China, or the stock market. Think about how much their, basically their consumers are more exposed to property and what's going on there. To me, I'd probably rather stock, you know, the market. Money into the, 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 the property market. Yeah, the property market. Yeah. I'm just saying. But I'm not playing that game. Why would you? Yeah, because it's not time. Coming up, the latest on Netflix's earnings shares jumping as the company hosts its earliest conference call in years. We're talking to a top analyst who is on that call, what he is hearing from company execs straight ahead. And speaking of earnings, Tesla revving up to report tomorrow after the bell. One of our traders has a way to plug into the name with an option strategy. The details when Fast Money returns. Another check on Netflix shares of the streaming services soaring uh, 8%. Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners just got off the conference call. Rich, what stood out to you? Was it weird to have a conference call so early? <laughs> I mean, it was just a watershed moment for Netflix, really. I mean, getting into the live scripted entertainment. You know, I feel like this is sort of the house of cards, you know, industry-wise, if you think about the change. That was really the beginning of their launch into programming, you know, their own original programming. This seems like getting into the live space. I mean, they've dabbled in live, Melissa, but this is a, you know, a very big 10 year, $5 billion deal with WWE. This is transformative and doing it on the exact same day that they announced the largest quarterly net ads since the pandemic quarter. And only the se- that literally the second largest net ad quarter in the history of the company, given how big and how old Netflix is, stunning that they can grow subs that quickly. Do you? How do you think their sports strategy or their live strategy will unfold? Do you think we'll see them going after you know rights to live sports, or or will they just pursue the sports adjacent, sort of not necessarily depending on it being live all the time, but things that can be rewatched over and over again? Look, I think they were very careful to use the phrase that you just recited, sports adjacent, right? Um, you know, l- live entertainment um, is not sports, right? I mean, WWE is scripted programming. Every episode, it's been on NBC and um, other the NBCU family of networks um, where SmackDown's going to reside um, after the transition from Raw, but it's scripted. Netflix loves scripted programming. This is just live scripted. Now, I wouldn't be naive enough to believe that there isn't a future in sports. They've been testing with things like tennis and golf, their own sort of created events. Do I think 
long, long term, meaning over the next 10 plus years, could I see Netflix getting into the sports arena in a bigger way? Sure. But I think they were very careful. This is not about sports. This is about getting into or expanding from scripted into live scripted. And and that's as far as they're going. Do I think we'll be talking about in five to 10 years moving into sports, like true live sports? I'm sure. But that is not what's happening. And I wouldn't be I would be surprised to see them move too quickly into sports. I think crawl, walk, run, they're on that process and on that, you know, continuation of growing into it. Hey, Richard, Tim, you teed up in your notes the impact of generative AI um, and whether it's on the content creation process. Frankly, I, I, for a company that continues to uh, grow their free cash flow model, think about this also, maybe phrase it in, in your analyst chair and what this means in terms of uh, both income statement and how you view this company in a cycle where I, I think there are going to be a lot of upgrades coming, obviously, off these numbers, but because of some of the, the dynamics around how they can be more profitable than ever. Well, look, I, I, the obvious area that was, seems to jump out at me is animation. Uh, they just had one of their, I think their most successful animated movie in history called Leo. They talked on the call, uh, answering one of our questions about there being a Leo sequels being kicked around now. Uh, I have to believe when you think about the storyboarding and, you know, y- you know how long it takes, Tim, to make animated movies. It's three to four years. It's a brutal process. If you can speed up that content creation process for animation um, and, and really do it more quickly. I think that's a place where generative AI could have a meaningfully positive cost impact and speed efficiency impact on the business. And so I think that's notable. How it reduces cost in the broader business, I mean, I don't, I don't expect um, storytellers to go away anytime soon. But I am curious that they didn't really, you know, talk to generative AI. But I think it'll be interesting how generative AI impacts them beyond animation. I think that's the obvious starting point. Rich, I got two questions for you. One, Netflix mentioned a gaming strategy a couple years ago. Where do they stand on that? And two, what makes you think Tim would have any idea how long it takes to make an animated oh, film? Tim is, totally Tim so is right. working on I'm his car- animated. I am cartooning right man. here. Don't you I mean, that? I'm laying out storyboards. Right. Thank That's you, Rich. The I appreciate you. Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm giving Tim kidding. credit for his um, overall creative capabilities. But in answer to your question on on gaming, look. Brandon Ross, my partner, lives and breathes video games. Like, he still continues to believe that, you know, they're probably going to need to make an acquisition at some point. You know, maybe not a major, like, thing like an EA acquisition. How about but do they have to buy? Well, that's that, that's well beyond gaming. I mean, look, Ted Sarandos, co-CEO of Netflix, sits on the Spotify board. I'd be surprised. It's so different. And music, you know, think about what Daniel X doing. He's trying to own all of audio. I think very similar Netflix is trying to own all of video. And yes, all of video, ultimately, Melissa, is your question of sports. I don't think they're there yet. I think they have to grow and get bigger. And the advertising business has to be much bigger to justify sports. That is the piece that is growing rapidly. And there's a major event happening in the next few days that your viewers should be paying attention to. T-Mobile, everyone who's on the T-Mobile Netflix on us is going to convert to the ad plan. So there's going to be a huge surge in advertising subscribers. Netflix talked about they may not even be able to fill that demand immediately, Mm. inventory, because it's going to take time. But that's going to be a very big tailwind for the Netflix ad business as you move through Q1. Rich, thank you. Rich Greenfield, Light Shed Partners. Tesla and the earnings hot seat tomorrow. The options market is expecting a major move in the stock. How should you play it? More Fast Money in two.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of DR Horton plunging more than 9% after the home builder missed earnings expectations this morning. Bigger incentives and price cuts also put pressure on margins. The stock's seeing its worst day since June 2020. And weighing on the entire home building space, Toll Brothers, KB Home, Pulte, Lennar, all seeing their worst days since at least October. Meantime, another marquee name on deck to report tomorrow. Tesla delivers results after the bell. The stock is already down more than 16% this year. And the options market's expecting an electric move in this name when earnings hit. If you've been along, Dan has a way to protect any profits you've made so far. Dan, what are you looking at? Right. Really tough setup here. Stock's down 21% just in the last kind of month or so. It's down 16% of the year, clearly out of that mag seven here. And sentiment just couldn't be worse heading into the print. And again, this company's had a really difficult run from a fundamental standpoint over the last three quarters. The day after earnings, the stock has sold off 9%. So when you think about that, heading into the print, we have a NASDAQ at all-time high, an S&P at all-time high. We have all the mag six uh, making highs. You know, this has gone the opposite way. So uh, if you think about this, it's a hard press on the short side here, right? So they don't have to say much to get this stock going higher, but I don't think they're going to have that much good to say. So if you're long the stock and you're thinking about how do I stay long this but protect myself, I I just want to look at the charts really quickly here. The one year you see this uptrend, you see that 205 level. I don't think you want to be long below that. If it were to break below that, look at it on a longer term basis here. And you say to yourself, and guy's been highlighting this pennant formation that's been in place. Really difficult spot. It's below that longer term uptrend to me. So you want protection if you're long into this print. I would look to collar your stock. So today the stock about 209 versus 100 shares long the stock. You could look at February expiration and sell one of the 230 calls that expires there at about $4.40 in February. You could use the proceeds and look down in February expiration by one of the 192 half puts for $4.40. It costs you nothing. You have gains of the stock up until 2.30 in February expiration, so about $21. You have losses down to 192.5 between now and February expiration. But between that, you stay long the stock and you can profit or you can cap your losses. What are you looking for out of this quarter? Well, I mean, to me, it's about margins. I mean, where are they in terms of, you know, they said they were not going to get down to legacy auto um, mark makers margin levels of about 16%. I think we troughed at 17.5, but anything with a 17 handle or below, I think the stock trades down to that 175 level. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Tim. I think with a lot of concern around the macro, we've heard from oil services companies this week, and Schlumberger is best of breed. I think the margins get better. So does the dip. Now known as SLB. Courtney. Uh, the XHB, we didn't get to talk too much about housing. It's definitely down today. I would buy on that weakness. I think the longer-term supply and demand will continue to look attractive there, especially if rates are coming down. Dan. Yeah, I'm starting to look at Tim's Nike. I know you're really geeked up about the Olympics Geeks. this summer. Oh. Nike should be. As I get. Synchronized yeah. swimming. As I do. Favorite event. Guy. Pixar making a big announcement. <laughs> running geeked up side. about that, too. Oh, that oh, uh, is up next. <laughs> All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries 
series warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner, too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.